Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nation, Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris, coming to you from our world-famous Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here in Portland, Oregon. I'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature intended for helping make this show possible. There's a new book out on the market. As y'all who listen to this show know that I'm big on books and reading and cookbooks especially. Chris Sussman has got a brand new book out, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, Pitmaster Secrets to Making Incredible Barbecue at Home. Chris is the founder of the Barbecue Buddha, among other things. He also is a musician, which will Pardon the pun, grill him on that a bit later in the show. Chris, welcome to Barbecue Nation. Thank you. It's great being a guest here. I love the show. No problem, and I appreciate that. So first of all, this is kind of, we got to get through the standard questions. What prompted you to write the book? Uh, well, I, you know, as I have been teaching myself how to become the best backyard pit master I could possibly be, I got to a point where I started teaching classes locally and around the country with Big Green Egg, and I found myself answering the same questions over and over again. And what I realized is people were reading recipes and people were learning how to cook certain things with the recipes, but they weren't learning why. They weren't understanding why people were telling them in the recipe to wrap or not to wrap or to use a spritz or to use a mop. And when I got behind all of that, my idea for the book was, what are the four things that I've learned that changed my backyard grilling that I think everybody else would really get a lot out of? And that was the genesis of the book is really that idea. Well, I think that's a, I think that's actually uh, an exemplary reason to write a book. Um, just my two cents worth there, because of all the people that I talk to, not just the interviews, but when I do my work on TV and all that, when people will ask me, they ask me here at the radio stations, you know, what you have a good recipe or how did you do that? But there's always that if you will, that kind of lag time in between. And I'm not talking about the actual cook. I'm talking about them understanding what we do and why we do it without, you know, they got the recipe down, but they don't understand like the stall and different things like that. And I thought you did a good job in this book explaining all those things. Well, thank you. And I mean, and it goes so, so much past, you know, why does, why does a wide it's all differently than uh, a prime cut or a choice cut. You know, what are all the factors that you need to think about that are going to be variables for you before you even start cooking? Most people don't even think about those things. They go and get a rack of ribs at their local grocery store and it cooks differently than the rack of ribs they got from Costco or vice versa. And so I like to, I like to help people understand these little 
variables that could change for them. So then they make their own decisions. And most importantly, they don't feel trapped by a recipe. You know, why didn't it come out just like the recipe? Well, at least they could start to figure out, oh, well, this may have been different than the author's intent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you've had this. I'm sure people have told you this thousands of times. You know, I did uh, baby backs or I did a pork butt or whatever it was. And it was good, but it really wasn't like yours because I've tasted yours and it wasn't like yours. What's different? Well, that's a really open-ended question because you don't know, like you just explained, where they got their ribs or where they got their pork butt or whatever it was and, and how they did it. Maybe they were doing it on a gas grill and you were doing it on a pellet or the Smoky Mountain or whatever. And it, I think it's really good to kind of get down to those things. Anyway, let's talk about some of the fundamentals, kind of starting yeah. at the front. You talk about uh, fuel, combustion, and wood, and uh, building a, a fire for optimal smoke. Let's get some examples yeah. from you on that. And then what, do, and when you put that chapter together, what did you see from civilians, as it were, Chris? that made, you know, that you made you focus your onus of, of this on, uh, on those things. The great questions, a great lead into the first fundamental. The big thing for me is the differentiation between fuel and wood. Sometimes they could be the same thing. Most of the times, especially for the backyard, backyard barbecue, they aren't lump charcoal or uh, briquettes if you're using a Weber Smoky Mountain or a different type of grill that takes briquettes, don't impart smoke flavor, even if they're made from wood. Why? So I go in that. What is the live component? Lignin, I think is how it's pronounced, mm -hmm. is what's in live wood that when burned at a certain degree releases the smoke flavor that then you're trying to capture and get into your, to your meat. Um, so really, I wanted to be able to break it down so people understood the difference between fuel and wood, what the various wood types are and why you would use certain woods over other, um, and really when and where in the cook you should be using the wood. You know, I always like the way Tuffy Stone explains his wood use. It's like a seasoning, like salt and pepper. I think it is much of the same way. You don't want to over smoke your meat. So how do you control that? How do you know? when and where the right time to add wood to your, fuel, to your fuel source, assuming it's not the same, during the cook to provide your environment the optimal conditions for smoke flavor and color in your meat. Well, one of the things, and I wanted to say this too, and I didn't at the beginning of the show, so forgive me, um, the barbecue Buddha grilling by feel. And I thought that was mm -hmm. really interesting because a lot of, a lot of cookbooks now, uh, haven't gone under your four fundamentals, but they, they get kind of technical on stuff and, and rightfully so I've got no problem with that, but also when you've cooked a ton of stuff in your, in your cook career, uh, you do get the feel for things. Like for me, I get right. like an automatic clock in my head. As soon as I start something, whether it's a ribs or tri-tip or whatever, you get an automatic clock in your head and you, and you're kind of thinking like, okay, it's been so long. Maybe it's been an hour should be in my mind, kind of looking and temperature should match. And this to this point, 
you know, if there's four points in a cook, it should be to point A now. And and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of engineering when you think about this because you you want the smoke to be, the temperature to be a certain way, smoke and all that. But really, there's much more art to it. So uh, what I like to do is to teach people how do you use visual cues, touch cues, smell cues to assist you into knowing when this stuff is done. That really comes into play more in the before. How do you know when your barbecue's done? But it also sets you up for a perfect ending if you're paying attention to those cues during a long cook. Yeah. Well, it's like anything. You're a musician. Uh, you know, if you're a bass player, you may take your cue, if you will, when you're doing a live song from the lead guitar player or the drummer, mm -hmm. you know, drummer and bass players seem to work together more than anything. But my point is yeah. there's cues back and forth there. And it's the same in cooking, especially in, in smoking and grilling and barbecuing like that. Right. So I, I just, I really liked it anyway. We'll keep going here. Sorry, I got off. Uh, yeah. Got off in the weeds on you there. Temperature and zone. A lot of there's been a lot made up uh, uh, about you know direct and indirect heat sources and this and that and zone cooking over the years. But I think you did a really good job here talking about controlling the heat in the zones and stuff too. Because uh, I think some people go, okay, well, if again we'll use gas because it's the most common one out there. Uh, okay, I leave the I leave the burners off on the right side. Uh, if I've got a three burner grill and I only turn on the far left one, and, and there's my zones and it's all good. It's a little more to it than that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, especially in that scenario, because what you're not thinking about is yes, you have an indirect zone uh, in that environment, but the heat source is still coming from a direction. So if you're not cognizant of the fact, you're not just thinking about the bottom and the top of the meat, you're thinking about the left and the right side of the meat too. So if you have chicken, for instance, on the grill and the left hand burner is all on and you're over top of the burners that aren't on, well, the left side of your chicken is going to cook faster than the right hand side of your chicken. And if you're not aware of that, and moving it around and using those zones to your advantage, that's going to be another thing where people at the end are like, well, this didn't turn out like the book, or this didn't turn out like he told me to do it. I followed all the instructions. Well, you overcook the left side, you undercook the right side, and you're going to have uh, uh, that issue every time. And, and I also wanted to really break down, because for me, starting all this, I was like, well, why is it between 225 and 275? What, what is that magic zone? What do those numbers tell me? What happens? You know, is it linear if I bump it up to 235? Is it a shorter amount of time that I cook? What are all of these variables that go into these decisions? And how can I master them so, uh, once again, I'm in, in a new environment. I'm cooking at a friend's house. I'm on a different grill. And it doesn't work the same as the one that I always use. How, how can I make up my own decisions based on the environment in front of me to have a better outcome? There you go. We're talking with Chris Sussman. New book out, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, Pitmaster Secrets to Making Incredible Barbecue at Home here on Barbecue Nation. And we'll be back uh, with Chris in just a couple minutes. Please stay with us. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come on a safari with me. Early in the morning we'll be starting out Some honeys will be coming along We're loading 
Everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get around. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and we're talking with Chris Sussman today. Uh, New book out, The Four Fundamentals of sm- of Smoking. We're talking about barbecue, not cigars or anything there. But, you know, if you're an employer and you're looking for new employees, the reason to find your next hire with Indeed uh, are starting to add up. Just look at the numbers. Instant match searches millions of resumes in Indeed's database to deliver candidates whose resumes fit your job description the best. They have 135 skill test, skills tests excuse me, that go beyond the resume to help you find the right candidate faster. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. So if you want to multiply your employees and subtract the hassles of finding them, visit Indeed.com slash credit. All right, let's get back with Chris Sussman here. The Four Fundamentals of Smoking. Now, Chris also ran a catering company uh, up in Louisville. And it's not Louisville, people. It's Louisville. If you, yeah, you, you say it like you've had a couple of bourbons. Yeah. That's the way you know you've, you've mastered it. Louisville. Louisville. Yep. Yeah. Um, I've had to correct more people on that over the years. And they look at me like, <laughs> what, are you a hillbilly? And it's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, but say it right. Yeah, anyway. That's beside the point, right? <laughs> exactly. So we, we touched on this a little bit before, but we were talking about controlling the zone and the different temperatures, you know, because really, as I, I explained it to a, a fellow the other day, actually Frank Nubolo from the Golf Channel, he was on my other show and and he's a big griller and all that. And uh, I said, well, Frank, when you close the lid, you know, you're kind of turning your barbecue into a convection oven, really, you, you know, because he was like, always marinating and burning stuff or what have you. So I, I kind of walked, right. walked him through that off the air and he, I think the light bulb went on. He's a very sharp guy. Do you find that controlling the temperature and the different zones is one of the tougher things that, for people to get their noggins wrapped around? Yeah. And it, it, in particularly, I mean, with the introduction of pellet grills, Traegers and the like, that has greatly reduced the complexity where that's concerned. Sure. In fact, it's just made it really easy uh, and people try to overcomplicate it. But if I'm cooking on a pellet grill, it couldn't be any easier than saying 225 and then for a couple of hours and then, you know, 325, that's yeah. how I do my wings, you know. Uh, but when you're on a live fire cooking environment, especially if you're on a non-insulated grill, like uh, big green eggs are insulated. So once you get the temperature dialed in, it, it doesn't lose it. It doesn't, unless it runs out of fuel. But with Weber style grills or grills that aren't uh, insulated, it's harder to do. So, you know, the big thing I always tell people is relax, use it as part of your process. Unless you're cooking with a Traeger or another pellet grill, you know, think about starting your fire and getting your fire going 
an hour before you need to cook on the grill. That way you're in control of the temperature. You're in control of your grilling environment and everything else falls into place. If you start to go prep your meat and get everything ready at the same time you're loading the charcoal and trying to light the fire, that's a recipe for a disaster because I have found as soon as the, 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 the temperature gets higher than the desired temperature, it's way harder to get it down and under control than it is to get it back up. Mm-hmm. So start early, build the fire, you know, think about it, treat it like a process and be in control of it. Don't let it be in control of you. Absolutely. And I think part of that goes to people that use uh, gas grills too, uh, because of the fact that they, they turn it on. Um, they can, they they start to trust the temperature on the gauge on the hood of the grill, which that to me that's don't do that. You know those right. those things are rarely accurate. But stop lifting the lid all the time. I mean, if you're going to lift the lid to to turn whatever it is you're cooking the chicken or the steak or whatever, that's fine. But a lot of people do it, and then they start looking at stuff, and they they you know stick their hands over the spots that doesn't have any meats on it, and they're screwing around doing that. Um, and I know they're just trying to learn, but you close the lid after that, and then it takes a minute or two for that temperature to get back up to where you wanted it. And so, yep. you know, be efficient. That's my advice. I want to get your take on it. Be efficient when you lift that lid, you know, get a good idea of what you're going to try to do. You're never sure till you lift it up and take a look at what's cooking, but, you know, you should have that idea and get it done fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, I always recommend to people when they're beginning their journey, whether it's they've been cooking for a long time and they're just now wanting to take it seriously or they're just starting to cook and take it seriously. Someone at my front door, I apologize, radio guest. No worries. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that happening. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> That's okay. Going nuts. Um, so uh, it's... It, I was right in the middle of a what moment, and then I completely lost track of what I was saying. So, yeah, if you if you are you know looking, you're not cooking. So just make sure that you're in control of that environment. So when you go out to do whatever activity you're doing at the grill, you, you've timed it for what you've wanted to do, whether it's mopping or misting or turning to 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 cater around the direct zone, indirect zone. You know, be in control of that time. And keep a journal. I think that's what I was saying before the dogs barked and interrupted me. <laughs> that's okay. If you're just starting your journey, you know, keep a journal. If you're just starting to take care, keep a journal because then it's when you take notes about what you've done and how you're approaching the cook like that, then you'll be able to go back and learn from your own stuff. So the next time you become more efficient. You've got a USDA temperature chart in here for the recommended temperatures. Um I use that as a guideline. I don't use, this is just me now, folks. So you have to make up your own minds. I use that as a guideline. I tend to like my steaks, little pinker, you know, this type of thing inside. But I want to get uh, Chris's thoughts on, um, a lot of people will take this guideline or they have a refrigerator magnet that's got all the temperatures and recommendations on it. And they say, okay, and they they take their brand new Digge thermometer and they stick it in there and they go 135 perfect but when they sometimes when they cut into it it isn't and and part of that is due to your placement on the grill uh or you haven't turned it in that so what are your recommendations for that chris 
I will always pull whatever I'm cooking, if it isn't barbecue, if it's just grilling and cooking outdoors, I'll always pull it a good 10 degrees prior to the finished temperature via USDA because I know the carryover cooking is going to bring it up to just about perfect and you won't overcook your fish, your pork, your chicken, which is the usual culprit for things like that. There you go. We're going to take another break here on Barbecue Nation. We're talking with Chris Sussman and Chris and I will be back right after these messages. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. I, I love the colorful clothes she wears and the way the sunlight plays upon her head. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Networks and from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland. If you want to uh, contact me, it's really easy. You just go to Barbecue Nation, that's BBQ Nation slash JT. Actually, you don't put the slash in there, dot com. That's uh, one of the websites, and it's got a little contact us button there, and you can send me an email, and it gets to me. Also on Facebook, Barbecue Nation with JT, and Twitter. My personal Twitter handle is CowCook57, and we post all the shows on that that one, and then each show has its own Twitter account, too. And I don't know, we're on 27 now, different social media platforms. I can't keep track of them, but... Uh, I do know that we got the Beach Boys for music today, and I really like that. Uh, also, like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, uh, beef the way nature intended, and it's great stuff. You can go to PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com and find out if there's a location near you that sells it, or you can buy it direct from them. Also, Gunter Wilhelm Knives, uh, great knives directly to you with great efficiency and productivity in the kitchen. Check them out online at GunterWilhelm.com. So, like I said, we're talking with Chris Sussman. The, from the barbecue Buddha, um, his new book, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, The Pitmaster Secrets to Making Incredibly Great Barbecue. What was the toughest part about writing this book, Chris? The editing process. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you put you put your heart and soul in all this work, and I pride myself in the work and the recipes and and being able to communicate effectively to people. And then it comes back, you know, with the, the, the red line all turned on and the edits <laughs> and the questions. And I mean, it, 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 and I'm OCD and ADD. I'm all the D's by nature. So when that stuff would come in, I'd have to give it to my wife first and be like, you need to read through it and tell me how bad it is. I can't, I can't get in and, and look at that. It's going to send me down a pit of despair. So I'd say yeah. the editing phase was the hardest part for me. I bet it was. And those editors, God love them. They can be pretty tough sometimes. They, pretty tough. I eventually got to a flow with Sarah, the person who was editing my book. She was like, remember, I'm your perfect audience. You're writing this, per you're writing this book for a novice, somebody that either knows very little or knows nothing at all. So if I'm asking these questions, you could expect those questions to be answered. And once I kind of had that paradigm shift, I realized it was less about the grammar police and the, the thought police, and it was much more about, hey, I'm just trying to approach this from a, a, a novice perspective, and I need better understanding. So uh, it got easier over time, but that was the hardest part, for sure. Absolutely. Now, your fourth fundamental is the finish, and we talked a little bit about this in the last segment, but 
I think personally that uh, not to keep interjecting myself in this conversation, but it's my show. So I get to do what I want, but um, the finish is so important to, to me when I'm cooking to not only to make sure the temperature's right and you know, everything's what I want, but I'm really particular about the look also. Now I'm not, bringing in a food stylist to, you know, spray hairspray on my tray tip to make it look pretty and shiny. I want it that way when it comes off the grill and after you let it sit there for a minute before you cut it up, I want people to be able to go by and go, wow, that looks good. Not like, well, you burned the hell out of that again, Tracy, you know? So um, let's talk about the finish. How do people know when they say, okay, now, Let's finish this. What What's the trigger for them? Well, it's a, to me, it's the biggest thing with the finish is, is and, and this is difficult going with the publisher, going back to the earlier conversation, is it's hard to say, hey, I want to write a book that's more art than it is science. And they're like, well, that doesn't really work for us because you need to tell people, <laughs> you know, yeah. this recipe will be done at what time. So I, I always like to describe it as it, it's a process and, and it's iterative. And Every, like, for instance, I always talk about brisket because this makes the example. Every time I've cooked a brisket, I usually like my briskets, you know, between 12 and 14 pounds, and I do it a certain way and all this. Every single brisket I've ever cooked has always taken a different amount of time than the one that I did the week before or even the night before. Sure. It, it is. It, it, and so how do, you detra- how do you detangle that and look for it? Well, with brisket you know, certain cues. You said the look, you know, I got a tremendous amount out of reading Aaron Franklin's book. And he would talk about when you're trimming the brisket and you're working with the brisket to really think about the finished product, right? A lot of what I'm doing is to help with the aerodynamics of it when it's cooking. But a lot of it is what is the mouthfeel? How's it going to present? How's it going to look itself? And the most important thing I got out of his book and that I've been teaching ever since I learned it, picked this tip up is You know, people are like, you cook the brisket until it stalls at 165, and then you wrap the brisket, and then you take it out when it probe tenders at, you know, about 200, 204. And I'm like, yeah, that that could work, and I can see why people put that into their recipes. But if you wrap it before the bark is really set, now you're setting yourself up for streaky running bark later, and that's really important with the presentation. Mm-hmm. And you're also not getting as much of the smoke color or flavor. So to me, it's really it's really all about feel. You know, it ribs, uh, uh, the Ben Test. I think I got that from one of your buddies on Amazing Ribs, Meathead. I mean, yeah. the Ben Test is me. You can get in there with toothpicks. You can do that other thing, but nothing beats picking up a set of ribs with the tongs. If it bends and just cracks a little, you know, you're done. It gives you lots of leeway where that's concerned. And, and so it's helping people understand what does probe tender mean? You know, where should you be probing your brisket or your pork butt? How will you know the combination of events between time and texture and temperature that your, your uh, barbecue is going to be done. And then, of course, you know, I've said this a lot during the interview, but resting, resting is real critical to big cuts of barbecue because what I explained to you earlier, you have all of that muscle fiber that's contracted, and now it's a big mass of muscles. And for that to have the time to loosen up and, and, and for that 
beautiful, you know, uh, uh, emollient fat and the, uh, the, the collagen that you've rendered over the song cook to get reabsorbed and to be throughout that meat is really key. So to me, that's, that's important. Well, Those things are important. They are very important. And, and Chris, you talk about something in the book, which very few people talk about when they've written books. Uh, and trust me, I get, I probably get 30 cookbooks a year, barbecue cookbooks a year, um, literally, uh, you know, cause they want to talk to me. They want to be on the show. And I think that's great. And I get as many as I can in there, but you talked about the humidity, the humidity where you live now in Florida and the humidity in Kentucky is a lot different than the humidity in Oregon. Okay. Right. Just. It just is. We can't do anything about it. If you're in Houston, it's going to be a hell of a lot more humid than it is if you're um, in the mountains in Idaho or Colorado. So how how is that affecting the cook and what do you recommend to people about that? So I go into that a little bit in the book, high altitude or low humidity environment. Humidity it's a multi-headed beast in the sense that humidity, this is what most people don't get. Even after years of cooking barbecue, I saw somebody post, I think on the Fogo channel recently about, you know, they did the misting test on, on their brisket and Mm -hmm. they cooked a brisket without misting and they cooked another brisket and they missed it the entire time. And they didn't get the results that they were expecting. They they thought they were going to get a smoke ring or a more pronounced smoke ring with the, with the missing. Well, they only got half the battle correctly. You only miss if you notice that the, the pellicle or the, 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 uh, the surface area of the meat that you're barbecuing is drying out. And why is that important? Because it's the water. It's, the, it's a slightly moist and tacky surface of the meat that allows for the gas that's burned during the combustion when we started talking about fundamental one. Sure. It's the gas that's absorbed through that moisture. And that's why humidity inside your cooker is so important to manage because if you manage it correctly, you have a slightly wet and tacky surface, you're forming the pellicle, that pellicle is absorbing the gas, the gas is creating the smoke ring and it's imbuing smoke flavor. Now, talking about that multi the beast, now you're in different areas where you have high humid environments. How's that going to, you know, you may miss less. You may mop less because the humidity inside and outside of your cooker is naturally more moist than, say, if you're up in the mountains or an arid. And also altitude is a huge thing. And it could swing your temperature by almost 10 degrees if you're up higher in the mountains in Colorado and places like that. So, again, I want people to be able to think of all of this before they start cooking so they're prepared and not trying to troubleshoot or, or backwards engineer what went wrong afterward. You know, I learned that altitude thing years ago. <clears throat> I was deer hunting with, uh, staying at a house, a ranch house with some friends and I popped some biscuits in the oven. I made some biscuits and popped them in the oven. And the guy that lived there, Mark said, that's going to take about six to eight more minutes than you're used to. And I was like, oh, no, it won't. No, it won't. And it's like, I'm a cook, man. I know this stuff. He goes, no, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> and he was right, and I was wrong. So <laughs> let's just. Yeah, there's only one way to learn that, and it's a hard way. You it, know? 
Yep, absolutely. But I, I learned it, and I'm, it's not that I didn't believe him. I just thought I knew more about cooking than he did. Well, in general, probably yes. But in specific things at, at you know, 4,500 feet, I did not, you know. And, right. and when you think about if you're up in the Rockies, you can double that amount, that height. And uh, you've really got to take those variables into consideration. We're going to take one more break here on Barbecue Nation on the Sun Radio Networks. And we're going to be back with Chris Sussman. And uh, he is going to stick around for after hours. We're going to finish up our conversation about his new book, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, right after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Everybody, welcome back to the show. It's Barbecue Nation. If you haven't caught that part, we're talking with uh, Chris Sussman today from the Barbecue Buddha and uh, his new book. That's what we're talking about, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking. Chris has done a great job in it. Photography is great. The information is uh, invaluable. And um, I think you should get it. I'm just going to say things. And he has fun titles to his chapters, like things that go oink and things that go moo and ba and things like that. So there's one there's one recipe. I usually don't get down into recipes too much on the show just because there's usually a lot to talk about. But your Kentucky hot brown pork stuffed loin, that looked absolutely amazing to me. Is that something you created yourself or did you get an idea from another recipe? No, no. All of these, these, you know, recipes are like rock songs, right? There's right. only so many chords and there's only so many times you could recombobulate them into something <laughs> original. So with that said, I mean, it wasn't like I invented the ingredients, but I really wanted to, uh, at the time I was writing the book, I was living in, in Louisville and I really wanted to pay homage to my family and friends and the environment. And so bourbon is obvious, right? But then mm-hmm. a lot of people outside of Louisville don't un- know about or understand the big booty item there called the Kentucky Hot Brown. And just real quick for your listeners that don't know what it is, it was invented in the early 1900s at the Brown Hotel, which is still in Louisville. And it's after all of the young people would be out dancing and drinking for the night. They'd all end up back at the Brown Hotel where they were staying. And the chefs at night would want to cook up, you know, the perfect like pre-hangover food, if you will. (laughs) So it's this very decadent dish with oven-roasted turkey and thick slice like Texas toast bread, Mornay sauce, which is a very rich, cheesy, cream-based sauce, thick-cut bacon, and tomato. And I wanted to take that and turn it into something barbecue-y. So what I did is I I, uh, uh, butterfly a pork loin, a a four-pound pork loin. I pound it flat seasoning inside of it. I put in tomatoes, fresh tomatoes and cheese. I rolled it up. I covered it in bacon, a nice barbecue rub. And then I smoked that for about an hour at 250. And uh, I like to use a light wood, like an apple wood or even a pecan wood for that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll finish it with a, a little bit of a barbecue sauce and crank up the heat just a little bit to like 325 for the last 30 minutes to let that sauce set and the bacon 
crisp up a little more. And man, it's delicious. And of course, you know, like anything, since I've written the book, I've now come up with like 10 other ideas of what I want to do to that dish. So the dish, when you come to my house eventually and we, and we break bread with each other and eat, I'll make you that dish and it'll be, uh, it'll be quite different than what it is in the book. But it's a, it's a very popular recipe. People seem to really love that recipe and I'm proud of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And anything that has the word Kentucky associated with it, whether it's something in a glass or on your plate, I'm down with it. Okay. I'm, yeah, it's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be good because I love the state of Kentucky. It was it was great. Um, yeah. You know, one thing that they talk about uh, when I say in, they, I mean, barbecue people in general, they will say there's two camps and I'm kind of in the middle. So I guess there's a third camp. You know, the wood flavor, the, you know, um, hickory pellets, hickory wood, whatever. Uh, they add flavor. And I'm just using that for an example. The other camp says, well, no, smoke really doesn't add much to the flavor. Uh, but the hardwoods are better, you know, to start your fires with blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> I'm kind of in the middle and say, I, the different woods, because we have them all here. We don't have like um, pecan and some of that. but you know, now up here, like we're using, some people are using almond pellets. Um, we had a, the Naughty K uh, Farms barbecue folks on last year. And he's got access to all of the used almond trees, if you will, in California. And he started his own pellet plant. And I've used some of his pellets and I thought they were very good. It's very mild um, as far as the, you know, the flavor you get out of it. But it's, it's. It's very good. So um, tell us your thoughts on that. We've got about four minutes left, I guess. Uh, but it's a big topic of discussion. And so I really it want is, to. And it's, and, and it's all over the map. I mean, you've got people like Burke Bachman from Trudy's Underground uh, Barbecue in L.A. Now he has Slab in L.A. You know, he will swear he starts his barbecue, his briskets on white oak. And then for the last couple of hours, he finishes it with red oak. And he, he can tell the difference between the smoke at the end and the smoke at the beginning and the layers of smoke. Uh, and then you have people like Stephen Reichlin, who's basically, like, mm, you know, unless it's mesquite, it all kind of just tastes like a smoky flavor. There really <laughs> isn't much in between the difference. I lean more towards Stephen Reichlin, you know, I, I, you know, in that sense that, you know, if I'm doing traditional barbecue, I'm going to use a hickory. I like the way that tastes. Yeah. Uh, if I'm, if I'm doing like a pork loin, I'm going to do apple or pecan. It's not so much like a taste of this apple or pecan. It's a lighter smoke flavor. It's like a, right. a, a gradient, if you will. So like hickory is strong and, you know, pecan and apple is a little bit less strong. That's the way I like to think about the the only wood for me that that is different. Well, too, pimento wood. If you have the pleasure of eating true jerk chicken or jerk grilled products, pimento wood leaves a very unique flavor, and mesquite also leaves a very very unique flavor. Outside of that, to me, it's 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 gradients of smokiness that I get out of smoking sure. wood, as opposed to specific flavors. Yeah, I just, uh, it's a big discussion. I don't think it will ever be resolved like this is the true answer because I think it really depends on who's doing the cooking and what they like because I think people subconsciously too, and even Stephen does this, you know, we're going to use, we're going to use mesquite. 
for example. Okay, we're going to do that. I think it's subconsciously when they're doing making their rub or selecting a rub that's you know pre um, manufactured. They probably already know it. They've probably used it before, and they think that rub would go really good with this. You know what I mean? They're yeah. they're they're, yep. they're subconsciously matching things, and then they can say. Uh, boy, I can really taste the difference in that. Well, it's not always just the wood. It's what else you're putting on the protein. The way I've approached my career and the way I've approached my barbecue is always with an open mind. So, you know, instead of forming a hard opinion, when people say fat cap up or fat cap down, I like to understand why you make those decisions and what happens when you do one versus the other. And then I pretty much say, well, this is what I do. And here's why. But you can do it any way you want. And here's why. I don't, I don't like to subscribe to uh, zealotry or thou shall have or thou shall not do. It's <laughs> because it takes the fun out of it. And barbecue is all about fun and camaraderie. Man. Absolutely. Chris Sussman, the author of the new book, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, Pitmaster Secrets to Making Incredible Barbecue at Home. I recommend this book to any of you guys that are out there. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all those places. Um, great book, great technique. Well, we're going to talk some more about it in the after hours. But Chris, thanks for being on Barbecue Nation this week. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day, my friend. We will. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for the first hour. If your uh, local station carries the second hour, it's coming right up at you. And if not, we'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.